ourselves with. I'm thankful that the Lord did it all. And He gives it to us freely. If you will, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. We're going to be looking at another portion of Scripture here in just a few moments as well. I know this is the Sunday morning crowd. And I often teach and I often preach on salvation. The reason for that is I sat in... I sat in church for 13 years of my life in a pastor's home, lost. And I thought I was saved. I I had prayed a prayer when I was about five or six years old. Didn't even know why I was coming forward. I just saw people come into the altar and I thought, that looks fun. Five, six-year-old sitting, trying to sit still in church. And I was one of those Dennis the Menace kind of kids, you know, just fidgety all the time. And I thought, that looks good. I'm going to come up to the altar, and I, I want to do that just because that looks neat. And I remember Mom praying with me, and I prayed a prayer. And for years, I told people, I said, I'm saved. I, 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 I can still remember going to the altar. I really can. I can remember that. But I'll tell you this, there certainly was no conviction of my sin. And there certainly was no faith placed in the Lord Jesus Christ to save me from it. I battled with it. As I entered my early teen years, conviction came on my heart, and I realized I was going to hell. If something didn't change, if I didn't do something, I was going to end up going to hell, sitting in a pastor's home that taught other people how to go to heaven. Unless you say, well, I go to Keith Heights Baptist Church, I shouldn't have to worry about such things. I don't want to get you to doubt your salvation this morning, but I want to make certain that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. I did a funeral service yesterday. It's always difficult to do one. For a family you don't know, I'm talking with them. There certainly were numbers of people there that I believe were not saved. And... um, I I heard the daughter <clears throat> I heard the daughter say as she said the eulogy and it was a beautiful eulogy about her mother. She said, and I hope I'll see her up there one day. She's up there with with dad and I sure hope they're there. And then she said, I know they are. But in talking with her, I don't know. I, I it does not sound like there was any faith put in the Lord Jesus Christ. She lived a good life. She she tried to do some good things. She attended church in the Catholic Church. There's no indication that she ever came to a place where she was convicted of her sin and understood that there was a penalty for it that she could not pay. There were no works that were good enough to be able to overcome the sin that she had had in her life. There's no indication that she came to a realization that the Lord Jesus Christ was the only way for her to be saved. There's no indication that she ever put her faith and her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I say all that to say this. There's a lot of people that sit in Baptist churches. I was one of them. For years. And I heard the messages. 
And I felt the pricking in my heart of the Holy Spirit. You know, <coughs> pride will make you. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> pride will make you do some really crazy things sometimes. I sat there, and I remember that last year, year and a half, where I sat there literally every service under conviction. And you know the thought that came into my head? I mean, I was in church of all places. A place that if I came forward and got saved, those people would have rejoiced with me. But that's not what Satan put in my mind. You know what Satan put in my mind? What are people going to think of your mom and dad if you go forward and say you're not saved and you're a preacher's kid? And that held me back for months. Months it did. Finally, one day, I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, Lord, if You'll give me opportunity, the very next opportunity of invitation I have to go forward, I'm going forward. We had a high school chapel on a Tuesday. I think it was, a Tuesday. It was either Tuesday or Thursday. It was November the 13th. I, uh, the fellow that preached in the high school chapel... <clears throat> always gave an invitation every chapel service. Every chapel service. Except that one. And instead of an invitation where he had people come forward, he, he said, I'm just going to have you raise a hand. If God has spoken to you today and there's something you have a need for, would you just raise your hand? And boy, my hand shot up. And heads were bowed and eyes were closed. Nobody saw other than he and I and maybe a friend that was next next to me or something. But I went on to class and I thought, Lord, I, I, I was I was ready to get that matter settled. And, uh, and it just didn't happen. And and then all of a sudden a knock came on the door. And uh, somebody, it was Brother Durstock, Stuart Durstock. He was our high school principal at the time. You did not want to go to his office. Back then we still believed in paddling at school. And if he called you to his office, usually it was because there was going to be uh, some board of education applied to the seat of knowledge taking place. And he said, I need Greg to come to my office. And I thought, what did I do now? I went down there. He was the one that had preached that morning in chapel. He said, Greg, I, uh, I don't ever do this. But he said, your hand shot up so quick. He said, I've been sitting in my office. I just feel like I needed to come and talk to you and see if there's something that you needed me to help you with and pray with you about. And I looked at him and I said, Brother Durstock, I'm not saved. And I need to be saved. And he went through everything. I said, Brother Durstock, I know all that. I've known that since I was a little kid. I just need to do it. I need to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to trust Him for it. He went and he said, would you like me to bring your dad in here? And I said, oh, that'd be great. He went and got my dad, and I'll never forget kneeling down beside that chair. And I'll tell you this, I think moments before, hours before, maybe even days before that, my faith had already been applied. But that, that afternoon, sitting there, kneeling there beside that chair in that office, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm trusting you. And you alone, 
That's all I'm after. I'm not trusting the fact that I'm a pastor's kid or I go to church. I'm not trying to live a good enough life. I said, I just need you to save me once and for all. I need to get it done. I need to get it settled. And guess what? He did it. He did it. And I'll tell you, there was something different. There's some people get saved and they wake up or get up from or get up from praying a prayer or, or making that decision in their life. And there's something drastically changed in their life. Others get up and they can't put their finger on it, but there's something different. There's something new. Something that's and I'll tell you this, God did a work. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're here today, don't put it off. The greatest decision you'll ever make in your life is your decision to trust Christ as your Savior. To put your faith in what He's done for you. It's not by works of righteousness that which we have done. According to His mercy that He saved us. We simply have to put our faith and our trust in Him. If you will, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And the message is going to be to Christians today, but I, I want those of you that may be here today that don't know if you're on your way to heaven, I want you to listen carefully because there's something in it for you as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and uh, let's go down to verse number 51, if you will. Paul, writing to this church, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, and, and by that he, he means uh, to, to die in the flesh and to die on this side of heaven. He said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, where the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorru- when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, <coughs> Paul said this, When the Lord died on the cross for your sins, so that you would not have to. He said this in verse number 54, He said, Death is swallowed up in victory. That which was death for us before, that which was condemning for us before, that which was going to send us to a place of eternal punishment in hell for eternity is swallowed up, notice what he says, in victory. He gained the victory over that for us. Because of it, you and I do not have to bear the bear the penalty for our sins. Sometimes we bear consequences of it. But I'm thankful I don't have to bear the penalty of it. He goes on to say it in verse number 55, O death, where is thy sting? You know this. When you get saved and trust Christ as your Savior, death doesn't scare you anymore. I remember, I remember those months leading up to trusting Christ as my Savior, having nightmares. There was the same one over and over and over again. 
I, I dreamed that the rapture had happened. And I know the rapture doesn't happen this way. In fact, we just read it here. It's going to happen, the Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I was preaching on the rapture one time. My younger brother, he's uh, about uh, nine years younger than me, uh, he plays the trumpet. And uh, I was preaching on the rapture one time, and I, I thought about having him hide in the baptistry with his trumpet. And at a certain point in the message, I was going to have him blast out on that trumpet and see how many people in our church panicked. And we chuckle at that, but the truth of the matter is, if it were to happen right now, how many of us would panic? The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He's, he's given us the victory over death. Death doesn't scare us anymore. Uh, the old preacher that was threatened one time, a man walked into his office because he'd been preaching against the bar rooms, and the bar rooms had closed up. And they were mad at him because it was costing them business. And they walked in and they pulled a gun on him and said, You will quit preaching the gospel or we'll shoot you. And he looked at him and said, You can't scare me with heaven. That's the way a Christian is. They may kill the flesh, but they're never going to kill the soul. They may gain victory over us and imprison us bodily, but our spirit is alive and free in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because death doesn't hold power over us anymore. We've been given the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? They don't have it anymore. Notice what he says here in verse 56. He says, the sting of death, that's sin. In other words, sin was what caused death and what made death so, so stingful, stinging for us because we were going to have to pay the penalty for that sin. That's what made death so bad. That's what put the sting in death, was the fact that we had sinned. Notice he says this, but the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now turn with me, if you will, over to 1 Thessalonians. We were in this book this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, that trumpet's going to sound. Let's see if we can read a little bit further about this as we get to chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. And look with me, if you will, in verse number 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Again, the sting of death is no longer. Why would we sorrow like others which have no hope? We get to see our loved ones again. And while the relationship may be different in heaven, we get to be reunited and spend eternity with them. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an arch, the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
I love this phrase, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know now that we're in the New Testament times, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Whether by death or by rapture, I will immediately be in His presence, and I'll be with Him for the rest of eternity. There was a song years ago written, We'll never say goodbye in glory in the morning over yonder. We'll never say goodbye in glory. We'll never say goodbye up there. I'm looking forward to the day where there are no more funerals. I'm looking forward for the day where we don't have to say goodbye one to another. I don't like them. As a pastor, I've sat by the bedsides of hundreds of folks over the years. I've tried to give comfort. I've tried to share things in the time of celebrating the life, even of a believer. But the truth is, there's sorrow there. I'm looking forward to the day when we don't have to deal with that anymore. When, when we're on the other side of this life and we're in heaven. The Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour. The rapture of the Lord could happen at any moment. There's not one thing left on the prophetic timetable that has to happen before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sitting here this morning, and I imagine when we got up this morning, most of us got up thinking, I'm going to go to church today. I assume that because you're here. And some of you got up and thought, I'm wondering what I'm going to wear today. And some of the ladies probably got together and said, oh, we've got to wear hats today because, you know, Reagan did. Reagan's the trendsetter. I'm going to wear hats today. Well, that may not be why they wore them, but anyway. Got up and, oh, I'm going to wear this outfit. I'm going to wear that outfit. I, I think I'm going to have this for breakfast. And you know what? I better go ahead and pull out stuff for lunch or supper. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to, after church, we're going to go do this. I doubt very seriously that any one of us stood up this morning when we got out of bed and said, I wonder if today is my last day here on earth. But it could be. Whether by death or by life. I went to see Brother Norm the other day in the hospital after he had gotten the news that there was nothing they could do. He had 100% blockage in one of the areas of his heart. He already has an artificial valve in there that was only supposed to last, uh, I think they had said, 15 years, and he's about 16 years past that. How much? 23 years past it. So he's on borrowed time. And I sat there in the, in, the, in the hospital room with him, and he said, they've told me there's nothing more they can do for me. That I'm a ticking time bomb. They don't know when I'm going to go. They said it could be two days or it could be two weeks. And I said, well then, Brother Norm, you're not living any different than you were yesterday. Because the truth is, he didn't know if he had two days or two weeks yesterday either. And by the way, let me help you with something. I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to tell you the same thing that doctor told him. It could be two days or it could be two weeks. It could be two years. We don't think those things, do we? Whether by death or by the rapture, the return of the Lord is imminent. There's no doubt about it. But whether it be by death or by rapture, we have no guarantee of another day. I was sharing this message or a message similar to this a number of years ago to a group of teenagers. And it was weighing so heavy on my heart. And I said, you know, if I, had, if I was at a place where I still was struggling with whether I was saved or not. If I was still in my teen years, and I, I knew that, that God had been dealing with me, I knew that I was not saved, 
and somebody were to preach a message like this, I said, I wouldn't even wait for an invitation time. I'd run down the altar. I wouldn't even wait. I'd make a beeline to get saved and trust Christ as my Savior. Because I'd want to get it settled. I'd want to know that I'm on my way to heaven. Folks, you and I don't have a guarantee of another day. Brother Norm's not living his life any different than he was before he got the news. Because whether he consciously thought about it or not, that's how he lived every day of his life since he was born. And that's the way you and I have lived every day of our life since we've been born. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. Because of that, there are two questions I want to ask you. Number one, are you ready? Are you ready? If we were to leave here today and the rapture were to happen, if before I get done preaching this message, that shout happens and the trumpet happens, and all of a sudden people are gone, are you ready? You say, well, Pastor, I I go to church. I'm not asking if you go to church. Are you ready? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you put your faith in Him and what He's done for you on Calvary as your only hope of salvation? Have you said, Lord, I'm trusting You and You alone for saving my soul? I'm not counting on the good works that I do. I'm not counting the church that I attend. I'm not counting the baptism that I went through. I'm counting only on You. Have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Folks, if I could get saved for you, I'd do it. I'd do it. But I can't. It's a choice you must make for yourself. If I were here this morning and I was lost, I would not wait. I would make every effort to get that matter settled right now. My second question is for Christians. And that question is this. Are you ready? Oh, I'm not talking about your salvation in this point, if you know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. But I want us to go back to 1 Corinthians for a moment, if you will. Look with me in verse number 15, or chapter number 15. And let's look down in verse number 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58. Let me ask you a question. Who is Paul writing this to? Is he writing this to the lost? No, he called them the brethren, didn't he? He's writing to those that are in the church at Corinth. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren. In other words, because we don't know when this moment is going to happen, this thing we call the rapture. I could go on to say this, because we don't know that we have another breath left in our lungs. Therefore, be ye steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the what? In the work of the Lord. There's, there's a few things there in that phrase that I think are very important. Number one, The work that we are involved in needs to be the Lord's work. I'm not saying you can't have a career. 
But I'm saying this, that every single one of us have a, have a plan of God on our lives to share this gospel message with everyone we possibly can. That may be at the workplace. That may be at home. It may be in, in your neighborhood across the fence from a neighbor that you know. It might be a stranger on the road that you meet. We have a responsibility to be involved in the Lord's work. Secondly, we're to be abounding in the Lord's work. Abounding gives the idea of, of not just doing the minimum, but doing more than is necessary. Making it the thing that we long for. I've said it so often that we sometimes get in our minds as Christians that our service for the Lord is, is something that we do on a Thursday night from 7 to 8 at a visitation time or a Saturday morning visitation period. Well, we're a soul-winning church, Pastor, because we go out once a week and soul-win. No, can I tell you this? We need to learn to be conscious of souls everywhere we go. To talk to someone about their soul's condition ought to be one of the most natural things a person can do as a Christian. It's not something we have to make ourselves do or to schedule time for. It's something that we ought to always be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the opportunities that He brings across our path and be ready and willing to share that gospel at any moment, in any condition, with anyone. Why? Because Paul said, therefore, because the return of the Lord is going to happen in a moment. It's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen at a time where men least expect it. Because we're not guaranteed, and neither is the person we're talking to, another breath. Therefore, we need to be involved in the Lord's work. And Paul said it this way, not only involved in it, we need to be abounding in it. And I want you to notice thirdly, we're not only supposed to be in the Lord's work and abounding in it, we're supposed to notice what he says here in verse number 58. We're supposed to be always abounding in it. You know what the word always means in the Greek? It means always. That's why they chose that word. That's why the Holy Spirit enabled the translators of this King James Bible to put that word always in there. Because this is not something that we do on a scheduled time of a church program that we have to offer. This is something that is a part of our life. It's a part of who we are. Are we steadfast? Are we unmovable? Are we always abounding in the work of the Lord? Paul gives us a promise by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. As he says, For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You may work and work and labor and labor. Never see one, one result. But the work that you give to the Lord Jesus Christ is not in vain. Adoniram Judson was a missionary and he served for many, many years in Burma. 
the mission organization that sent him expected to get regular reports. The Burmese people were very hostile to the message initially, and for eight years, eight long years, Adoniram Judson was faithful to preach. They rejected. They threatened him. They finally put him in prison, in a Burmese prison, for preaching the gospel. The Burmese would, in that day, put shackles on your thumb joints just below that first knuckle, and they would tighten them just enough that they would not slip past the knuckle. And they would raise them as far above your head to where you could stand on your tiptoes and still get relief, but that was all you could do. And Adoniram Judson was hanging in that Burmese prison by his thumbs. When word came from the mission board that had sent them by way of his wife, and she came in to visit him and said, the mission board wants to know what our prospects are. And after eight years, not even one person, not even one, had trusted Christ as their Savior. And Adoniram Judson, hanging there in that Burmese prison, said, I want you to tell them that our prospects are as bright as the promises of God. Several decades later, Adoniram Judson died. At his funeral, over 200,000 Burmese Converts attended his funeral because he was steadfast and he was unmovable and he was always abounding in the work of the Lord. He knew something that sometimes you and I forget and that is that his labor was not in vain. There's a lot of people after eight years seeing no fruit being persecuted, being arrested, being hung in a prison, would say, God obviously is not in this. But he was steadfast. And as a result, during his lifetime, over 200,000, either directly or indirectly from the ministries that started out of his work, were saved because he was willing to be steadfast. Paul said, we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen. He said, therefore, because of this, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let me ask you two questions this morning. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't know if I died right now. If I walked out that door and dropped dead, if, I, if the next breath I took was gone, or if the trumpet were to sound and the rapture were to happen, I don't know. I don't know that I'd go to heaven. Or there may be some people here that would say, Pastor, I know that I would not go to heaven because I have never trusted Christ as my Savior. My question to you is this Are you ready? Are you ready? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Folks, if you have not, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait another day. For Christians that are here today, 
Because we don't have the guarantee of another breath. Because the rapture is imminent. Are you ready? When the Lord comes, will He find us faithful? Or will He find us slothful? Are we steadfast? Are we unmovable? Are we always abounding in the work of the Lord? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Folks, I'm convinced that the return of the Lord is very soon. Perhaps the death of one or more of us may even be sooner than that. My question is, are you ready? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask if you would, when we give the invitation, I don't often do this, but I'm going to ask if you would to have the courage to step out of the aisle. And I promise you this, there's not a person in this room that will make fun of you. There's no reason to be embarrassed about it. In fact, there are people here that will rejoice in the decision you're making today. But if you do not know if you were to die right now that you'd go to heaven, you've not put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask in a moment when the piano begins to play, if you'd slip out of your chair and just come forward and let us take the Bible and show you how you can get that matter done today. You can make that, ch- that choice, that decision today. For Christians that are here, are we steadfast and unmovable? And are we always